Open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Last week, we looked at how Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil from 1 John chapter 3. And it's interesting that in Luke chapter 4, the beginning of the chapter, Jesus Christ goes into the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan for 40 days. And what Jesus Christ is demonstrating to us in chapter 4 is that the human body, though frail, if you are in the power of the Holy Spirit, you have the capacity to resist even Satan himself through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ demonstrated that to us. How many of you would be probably a little angry after 40 days with no food? Right? A little lack of self-control, all of that. Jesus Christ demonstrated that in the flesh, in the flesh, that he was able to resist Satan through the power of the Holy Spirit in a weakened physical state. When the Bible says that we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin, the, the, the Bible's very clear about that. So Jesus Christ resists Satan and he does it through the power of the Holy Spirit, quoting Scripture. Have you not read, thus saith the Lord? He, he quoted Scripture through that whole time. Now look at verse 13, and this is an interesting verse. Verse 12 is a good one too. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had departed, I'm sorry, and when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. So it's interesting, but just for a season. I I believe that Satan was constantly tormenting Christ his whole time here on earth, just poking at him and tormenting him. But you know what the good news is? Jesus wins. He wins. Now, it says that he departed from him for a season. And then look at the next account that we have. And Jesus returned in verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And now I want you to notice what it says, in the power of the Spirit. The Bible in in the book of Philippians it talks about how Jesus Christ made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant. Uh, there's, there's been a controversy around that passage in Ephesians. I'm sorry, in Philippians. It's called the kenosis controversy, that, that the word is, is emptying. And so what did Jesus Christ empty himself of? And I had a teacher, Keith Kaiser. Some of you got to meet him before he died. And he told us that What Jesus Christ emptied himself of was the free and independent exercise of his deity. So Jesus did not give up his deity. He was God as he walked the earth. Amen. But he gave up the right to freely exercise that deity. And he submitted himself to the Father and to the Holy Spirit while he was here. He did everything, all of the miracles he did, everything Jesus Christ did, was through, was through the power was through the power of the Holy Spirit, and even as he entered into Nazareth here in our account, the Bible says he did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And my message is not on this subject this morning, but it's something that we really ought to think about in our daily lives. All Jesus Christ is doing is he is heading in; he's going home. 
and he went home in the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything that we do, the Bible says, you say that you believe in him, then walk even as he walked. And everything Jesus Christ did was through the power and recognizing the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what Jesus Christ did. So now Satan has left him for a little season. He's going to leave him alone for a little while. It's interesting. So Jesus Christ goes home. Why? Because Satan knew he didn't need to torment Jesus at home. His family would. It's true. That's exactly what's happening here. Now look at what it says, verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him round, I'm sorry, through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? And it's interesting, Jesus Christ's custom was to go to synagogue. That's what he did. Just like our custom ought to be to go to church. It's just, it's just what we do. And I love it that so many of these young people, that, you know, in, in some Christian homes on Sunday morning, the conversation is this, are we going to go to church today? For most of you, that's not even a conversation. The kids, mom and dad, are we going to church tomorrow? They'd look at you like you were crazy. Of course we're going to church tomorrow. It's what we do. Why? It's our custom. It's our habit. And you know what? That's a good custom, and that's a good habit. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Amen? And you know what the good news is? Jesus is here right with us today. He's here. Everybody say, hi, Jesus. <laughs> He's here. He's with us. Isn't that a blessing? All right, so you guys aren't nearly as excited about that as I am. Okay. So now look at what it says in verse 17. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and, the, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And they said, and he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. And great famine was upon all was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarapta, to a city of Sidon, 
unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elias the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up, and thrust him out of the city, and led him into the brow of the hill, whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. Lord, help us as we study your word today. Lord, help us to learn some things that will help us in this new year. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice something in verse um, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord. Of the Lord. So what's what's going on in this text? The first thing that I want you to see is the compassion of Christ. The compassion of Christ. And it's demonstrated in his choice of a venue for his first sermon. This is his first, the first recorded sermon that we have of Jesus Christ. And he went to his own people. He went to the people that he had grown up around. He went to his family. They were there. They could hear what he was saying. And he's making this offer. He chose to preach it at home, and it's incredible love. This compassion is also demonstrated in his understanding of the human condition. Look at, look at what it says in verse uh, 18 again. To preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, liberty to the bruised. It's interesting. Alexander McLaren said, No man will ever do much for the world whose ears have not been opened to hear its sad music. An inadequate conception of its miseries is sure to lead to inadequate inadequate prescriptions for their remedy. See, if we're going to understand what our job is in this world, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, and we're going to talk about what that is, we need to understand the condition of mankind, the condition of the people, what is the condition? Well, they're burdened, the, they're the poor, the poor. And sin impoverishes, sin impoverishes. I want us to understand this. It's vital that we get it. If we align ourselves with God's laws, it will be good for us. If we go against God's laws, it will be bad for us. That's, that's, how many of you agree with what I just said right there? That works for individuals, it works for nations, it works for economies, it, it works for all societies. It's, I, the, the Lord has given me the opportunity to travel to amazing places in the world. I, I've, I've covered the globe. Lord willing, in March, I'll be going to the Philippines. I've been able to see some amazing things. And everywhere I go, there are natural resources that are not used well. Now, everywhere I go, this is going to surprise you. You ready for this? There are people there. Crazy, isn't it? And people, within certain parameters, all have the same capacity to produce, to work, to earn, to save, to invest. The individual's have that capacity. Are you all with me on this? We have that capacity. Well, then why is it that in the United States, 
especially in a good economy like we have right now, if you're willing to work and to live within your means, you can have a good life. When I was in Ghana, there are lots of people that are willing to work and live within their means, but there's no work to do. There's only, when I was there, there was 30% employment. How do you function in a society like that? How do you prosper? You're just poor. I'll never forget standing, uh, we were, we were seat, waiting for someone, and everyone sells something there. It might be pencils, or, or they'll find fruit and sell it. And it's open sewers there, and there was a little girl selling pineapple slices. And she tripped, and she dropped the, the slices into an open sewer. And she picked it up and wiped it off and went about selling it. That's the life. That's the world there. Why is it that way? Ghana's full of natural resources. Togo is full of natural resources. What is it? You have a sinful government. You have corrupt leaders sitting at the top of those governments. And what does sin do? Sin brings poverty. Look at our, na- look at our nation's cities. Look at the places where they're run in an immoral way. Where just a simple concept like this. If a man would not work, neither should he eat. So we have societies that violate that. And we end up with things like botulism. Things that were eradicated in the dark ages. Things that we haven't seen for hundreds of years coming back to those cities. Why? Because sin brings poverty. Because of a a corrupt leadership. Go to San Francisco. You either live in a very, very expensive house or they're living on the streets. No one else can live there. Why? Sin brings poverty. Look in our society. Look in our city itself. You know, there's kind of a saying around here that a dead man can get a job in Sydney. And yet you have people that are struggling. They're very poor. And what's interesting, when you, if you get into those people's lives like I have, what you see is drug addiction and, and alcohol addiction and lack of, lack of just basic human standards for many of these people. Our firefighters, if you ask the firefighters, where are the fires? The fires are not in my neighborhood. They're in neighborhoods where people, they have not learned basic understanding of their own personal individual accountability and responsibility. Why? Because the sin of their parents, the sin of their own choices. The simple fact is we as parents, we can raise children. We can raise you guys right, but eventually you guys have to make the right decisions or you're going to end up living in a van down by the river. Now, I know that the Kindigs don't like me saying that because Paul wants to live in a van down by the river. But it is so true. Sin brings poverty. Now, let me, let me just say a couple of things about that. If you have a job and you're feeding your family, maybe in the United States, your income level is considered poverty. It's not. The, the Bible says if you have food and raiment, they're with to be content. Are you all with me on this? Y'all with me? And there, even in this room, there are different levels of income based on different levels of, of education or ability. And it's always going to shake out that way. 
right? Because we all have equal opportunity. That's what we're trying to provide. But not all of us have equal talents. I couldn't do what Dr. Ree has done. I, I don't have the capacity to do that. Other things, some of you engineers, I can't do the things that you guys do. I don't have the capacity to do that. And what we end up with is there's a pay scale for your ability. And can I tell you something? We all want that. That is good. That is good. Now, in that, we're supposed to live within our means and do right. Are you all with me on this? When the Bible talks about people being poor, a couple of different concepts that God is dealing with in that. I know this, that someone in Ghana who is doing right will probably never have the opportunities that we have here. Why? Because of corruption. Because of sin. Jesus Christ came into the world to address those things. He came, I'll never forget, and I'm rambling a little bit, but I'll get back. I, I, was, I was in Ghana. Some of you have heard this. Many of you have not. And I had, we had to bring our food with us, and I had this little styrofoam tub of beefaroni. And there was actually a microwave in the kitchen there in, this, in Kumasi in Ghana, and so I put my beefaroni in the microwave. And I'd been there for, I don't know, 10 days or whatever. So honestly, I was a little mad about it. I lost 12 pounds in two weeks, I think. So I was a little mad about the beefaroni. And this lady who worked there, she, she came in, young lady. And she said, what is that that you're eating? And I opened it and I said, it's, you, know, it's, you know what macaroni is? It's noodles and, and meat and sauce. And she said, that food... That's why your skin is so beautiful. Now, first of all, no one's ever called this skin beautiful. You know what I'm saying? Quiet. <laughs> and listen to what she said. We pray and we pray and we pray that we can have the wisdom of the Americans so that we can have food like that. No, no, so that we can have good food to eat like that. Of course, then I feel like a, a heel because I'm mad that I'm eating it. And they're looking at that saying, we wish that we could have food like that to eat. Why don't they have food like that to eat? Because they live in a society that is profoundly corrupt, where the life expectancy, I don't know, is 30 or 40 years old for a man. That's, what is it that causes that? Folks... We have to get our heads around it. It is sin. We were there with a college group, and as we were leaving, one of the young men said, I feel guilty going back to America. I feel guilty for what I have. And I had to, I had to stop. I got pretty hard with these guys. And I said, don't feel guilty about it. Be thankful. The reason that it's like this is because of corruption. And folks, in our own nation, we must stand against the corruption that is rising like crazy all around it. Has the corruption come out of the woodwork lately? And so we need to understand that our nation is founded on a biblical economy. 
And if we can make sure that private property rights are upheld like the Bible talks about, remove not the ancient landmark and all the things the Bible talks about, private property rights, and we need to make sure that our laws are just, then that poverty goes away. But even in a prosperous culture like ours, sin, it leads to poverty. It leads to poverty. Well, so much more that I want to say about that, but let me go on. The burdened, the poor, sin impoverishes. And then it talks about the brokenhearted. Sin ruins. See, it's interesting, regardless of your income, I think that you would be amazed. I was talking with Brian George as we watched the football game last night. Wasn't that awful? Brokenhearted. We were talking about how suicide is so prevalent during the holidays. Isn't that a sad thing? My mother's grandfather committed suicide on Christmas Day. It's amazing how down people get in the time when really it's a whole lot of materialism, a whole lot of stuff. And there are a lot of people who make a lot of money and they are so sad, they are so miserable, they are so brokenhearted, so brokenhearted. Why? Because sin ruins, and then they're bound. They're bound. Here it talks about prisons. Uh, the people that we're dealing with, some of them are in prison. We deal with people that go to jail. And, but the, the Bible talks about people who are held captive by Satan at his will. Why? Because sin binds. There are so many people, they're addicted to so many different things. It can be pornography. It can be gambling. It can be substance abuse. It can be materialism. It can be work. People are so bound by their nature. That's what Jesus Christ came to deal with. And they're blind. Sin, of course, blinds. They can't see. When I was in uh, Brooklyn a few weeks ago, and, of course, Brooklyn is profoundly liberal, and I was talking to our church planter. I said, when you talk to these people about politics, and, and you can see black and white what it works and what doesn't work, and you talk to them What's it like? And he said, they're completely blind. You'll, you'll point to something. It could be a news report that, you know, there are more jobs. And here's what they'll say. Oh, that's a lie. That's not true. We mean it's not true. It's the number of jobs. What? No, no, not true. I don't believe it. it this, they're completely blinded to the truth, to facts. How do you help somebody like that? Somehow you hope that the gospel can pervade to take the blinders off so that they can see reality, sin blinds. And then look at what it says. It's interesting. At the end of verse 18, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Sin bruises. It bruises. It takes the health out of us. And... Just people, they they are struggling. When we look around, if we want to understand who Jesus was and what he was wanting to accomplish, we have to understand what he saw. He saw people that are broken, they're bruised, they're blind, they're poor, they're captive. That's what Jesus Christ came into the world to do. So that's that's the verse that he chose. Then then look at his, that's his compassion. But look at his claim. And the claim that he's making is found in his text. If you look at verse 18 again, the Bible says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. All right? And notice it's the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's He's reading the text. And then look at what he says in verse 21. And he began to say unto them, This day 
is this scripture fulfilled in your ears? The claim of Christ. He's saying the spirit of the Lord is upon me. His primary message was not believe in God and do right. It was believe in me and follow me. Is that different? Believe in God and do right or believe in me and follow me. That's what Jesus Christ was saying. And he said that not only does he proclaim the favor of God, he brings the favor of God. He, he, is, he is the gospel he preaches. He claimed to be the theme and fulfillment of that prophecy. And he's acutely aware of the Holy Spirit dwelling in him. The Spirit of God is upon me. Now, I want, I want to ask you this question. How many of you can say that? The Spirit of God is upon me. How many of you can say that? The Spirit of God is upon me. Look at no hands going up. How many of you can say the Spirit of God is upon me? He's given you a message to proclaim. The Spirit of God is on you. The Spirit of God is in you. If a man hath not the Spirit of Christ, the Bible says, he is none of his. All of us who are born again, we have that Holy Spirit of God. But look at, and he's, he is acutely aware of that Spirit. How about you guys? Are you acutely aware of the Spirit of God that's in you and what it's calling you to do and what it's calling you to proclaim the compassion of Christ, the claim of Christ, that He is God and He has the Holy Spirit of God on Him. I'm not God, but I do have the Holy Spirit of God in me. But look at the conviction that this brings, and that's demonstrated in verse 22. And all bear witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of His mouth. They're listening to His message and they're saying, this is amazing. The way that He speaks, the power in His words, that Holy Spirit was bringing conviction on them, and yet... What was it that stopped them from believing? The second part of the verse. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Wait a minute. How can he say he's God or he's Messiah? How can he say that and be Joseph's son? How many of you think maybe they had missed the message? See, they called him a bastard. The, the, the Pharisees said, at least we be not born of fornication. Jesus said, your father's the devil. I know who my father is. See, everyone knew the claim that he was born of a virgin. They just didn't believe it. They listened to his message. They listened to his words. And, and the graciousness, notice that the, 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 the pleasant offer of salvation that Jesus Christ was giving. They understood it, but they rejected it. Their ultimate rejection. And I want you to notice not only the compassion of Christ and, and the claim of Christ and then the conviction of Christ... But, but the chronology, and, and look at it again at the end, I'm sorry, at verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. What is that talking about? Go with me, keep your place in Luke, but go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verse 1. We then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. So you're, you're receiving the grace of God for a purpose. It's not empty for a purpose. Look at verse 2. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. 
Behold, now is the day of salvation. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord is to say that Jesus Christ has come. He has come himself not to preach the gospel, but to be the gospel. Not to bring the favor of God, but to be the favor of God. That, that right now is the acceptable time to receive Jesus Christ and acknowledge him as God. That now is the acceptable time. Now, remember the chronology of this. Now, we have to go, keep your place, go to Luke 4, and then get Isaiah chapter 61. I know most of you know where we're going. One of the most significant commas in the Bible. So, Isaiah 61 and verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now remember, in Luke chapter 4, that's where Jesus closes the book. If he hadn't closed the book, look at what it says in verse 2 of chapter 61. And the day of the vengeance of our God the day of the vengeance of our God. See, the chronology of Christ. Jesus Christ's mercy, His compassion is shown in the text He chose. His compassion is shown in the place where He delivers His first message. His compassion is shown in His understanding of the human condition that people are poor, they're bound, they're blind, they're bruised. They're, the, the, it's, a, it's just such a tough existence for people in the world. Jesus understood that. And he came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He said, I'm come to destroy the works of the devil. I'm come to give you freedom. I'm come to give you sight. I'm come to give you joy. I'm come to give you, give you spiritual prosperity. I mentioned the people in Ghana. It's so funny that they want everything to be associated with Christianity. So they'd have a little, you know, eight by eight hut that would be a grocery store. And it would be John the Baptist grocery store. While I was there, it's interesting, and this is years ago, they were voted the happiest people on earth. The happiest people on earth. And it's so interesting. So many of them are saved. So many of them know the Lord. And yet the culture is so poor. Maybe happiness should not be based on what we have. Jesus Christ came to say, I'm come. It's the acceptable year of the Lord. I am here. I am here. He doesn't say, believe in God and do right. He says, believe in me and follow me. And then what does he do? He helps you do right. That's the difference. That's the difference. The chronology. That dual fulfillment. Right now is the accepted time, but the time is going to come when it's going to be a time of judgment. So we have seen the compassion of Christ and the acclaim of Christ. We've seen the conviction of Christ and then the chronology. But the last thing I want you to see is the command. It's demonstrated in his sending of his apostles. Look at John chapter 20. As we look at this new year, and I know everybody's tired today and life has been busy and we have some time off now and some downtime. But as we look at this new year, I want you to, think about this. Look at John chapter 20. Look at verse 21. 
Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. This sending, it applied to the apostles, but it applies to us today. And it's demonstrated in the way that Christ sent the Holy Spirit. So if you go to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 1, and look at verse 8. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. See, this, this power, this acceptable year of the Lord, remember Jesus Christ went to that place in the power of the Holy Spirit. He went to his own place. Satan had stopped tempting him for a season. He goes to his own place. He preaches the acceptable year of the Lord, and his own people try to kill him. Understand what this is like. I mean, this, this is Caleb wanting to kill Sam. This is people who grew up together. They knew each other. And now they're going to kill Jesus. I remember years ago, this is years ago when I preached through Mark, one of the commentators said um, you know, that, that we don't know that this is a miracle. When Jesus made himself invisible so they couldn't kill him, that wasn't a miracle. How many of you would like the power to be made invisible, right? I'd like the power to just be made a little less visible, <laughs> you know. Next week, it's coming. Now, this is such an important thing for us to remember. This isn't Satan. This is people. Satan's left him alone for a season. He's gone to his own people. And when he violated what they believed was true, when he said, I'm the Messiah and I'm going to work through Gentiles. And and that's the whole point. That's why they got mad. I'm the Messiah. I'm going to work through Gentiles. When he said, and that Gentile, remember, that's the the only leper that was healed was was Naaman. And he was a Syrian. The, the, The widow woman, she was from Sarapta. She wasn't a Jewish woman that Elijah went to. All these illustrations, these are the people that God's going to glorify in. They're saying, no, we're Jews. It's only going to be through us. We're going to kill you now. And Jesus Christ left, and he went about preaching the gospel and kept preaching and kept preaching until they killed him. Then he was buried for three days and three nights. He rose from the dead, and then he went back and he sent his disciples. He said, all power... And heaven and earth is given unto me. Go ye therefore and preach the gospel. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. See, we, we understand his compassion, and that's why he came to destroy the works of the devil like we saw last week. We understand his claim. Uh, I'm, I am the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. The conviction that came from it, that, that, that the, the, his gracious words Isn't this just Joseph? And then they're going to kill him. Then they try to kill him. We have to understand, though, that he gave us a command that our job is to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And and now I understand our attendance is down today. Tons of people sick, lots of people gone, all of those things. But there's a substantial number of people here. What if we all said, I'm aware of the Holy Spirit of God in me. 
And God has given me a message to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That this year could be the year of salvation for someone. Because I acknowledged the Holy Spirit of God in me and then proclaimed that message. Are you guys willing to proclaim that message? Are you willing to tell somebody about Jesus? Are you, are you guys willing to tell somebody about Jesus this year? See, we're, we're not going to have a service tonight. We're, we're, we're getting rest and all of those things. Next week, it's the first Sunday of the new year. And how many of you will probably make some kind of resolution? How many of you will probably, for me, I want to try and get back in shape. I want to do all that stuff, work out again, look less like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. There's some goals that I have like that. Those are temporary things. What if I can lead somebody to Christ and change their eternity? What if I can bring someone into Grace Baptist Church where they hear the gospel and then we disciple them, we assign a trained believer to them and get them grounded in the Word of God, and then we train that person to ground somebody else in the Word of God? What if we all reach somebody this year and get them in discipleship? What if we, each one of us, and I know it's trite, each one reach one, all of that, all of us really could reach more than one. But if we made it a goal to begin in January, telling people about Jesus, and here's what we hear, Pastor, I've told everybody I know, tell them again. And then meet somebody new and tell them again and tell them again and be with them and spend time with people. Um, just had somebody we know, their, their Christian family found out they had a relationship with an atheist and they're wondering, what are you talking to the atheist about? Jesus, what do you think I'm going to talk to the atheist about? <laughs> Amen. Are you all with me on this? You can't influence people if you're not with them. You can't influence people if you don't love them. What are we going to do in this new year? Proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. How many of you think Jesus wants somebody to get saved this year? If he doesn't return. Does he want somebody to get saved this year? How many of you think he wants you to be involved in that? That's not going to happen by wishful thinking. It's going to happen by diligent labor. I'm going to do this. I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus. I'm going to invite somebody about Jesus. I wonder how many of us are still giving someone a gospel tract every week and inviting somebody to church every week. Remember, that's what our goal was at the kickoff. Let's get back to it. Let's make sure that these tracks get all over our city. And we're inviting people to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, how many of you would acknowledge that you are not Jesus Christ? Right? And his family wanted to kill him. It's crazy, isn't it? The people that knew him wanted to kill him. So how many of you think that our culture, that our city, is going to just love it when you give the gospel to New Bremen? You give the gospel to Piqua. You give the gospel to Sydney. You give the gospel to McCartyville. You give the gospel to wherever you are. How many of you think the city's going to say, I'm so glad you're here doing this? No, it doesn't matter. We're not there for their approval. We're here for his smile. And that's exactly what he wants us to do. So here's our goal for the new year. Proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Next week, I've already got a message planned. And I'm, I'm excited. How are we going to please God in the new year? How do we please God in the new year? But right now, I think the thing that the Lord put on my heart, on my mind, 
is let's just proclaim it's the acceptable year of the Lord. 2020. 2020. What a great year to get saved. Amen? Maybe we can do something really catchy and call the theme 2020 vision. <laughs> let's, for 20, let's for 2020, let's just say it's the, the acceptable year of the Lord. Let's tell somebody about Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much for saving us. Lord, there may be somebody in the room that's not saved or that's fighting you. Lord, I pray that if they're not saved, that today is the acceptable day for them, that today is the day of their salvation.